Hello and welcome to Abemus Papam, episode 204, Martin V. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Abemus Papam. So with today's Pope, we have the wonderful task of wrapping up the Avignon Papacy and the Great Western Schism. Martin V really begins the transition from the medieval papacy into the Renaissance and the Reformation eras, and so it's a big deal that we've made it to where we are today. But first, let's meet him. Our Pope today was born Odone Colonna, and if that last name rings a bell, you've been paying attention. The Colonna family we have been hearing about for a while now as one of the most important Roman families at the time and the constant opponent of the Orsini clan. Originally, the Colonna family was descended from the Counts of Tusculum, who we know really well as the clan that ran Rome during the Dark Ages. Adone was born sometime in 1369 or 1370 in Genasio, which is a small hill town outside of Rome. He was destined for the church from an early age, and he studied theology and canon law at the University of Perugia. Now, due to his family connections, Odone held many positions of authority in the church in and around Rome from an early age, and remained loyal to the Roman branch of the church during the schism. So, in June of 1405, Pope Innocent VII made him the Cardinal Deacon of St. Giorgio in Valabrio. Odone was part of the group that tried to start a new ecumenical council to heal the schism in the church at Pisa, and then he turned against Pope Gregory XII and helped elect the anti-pope Alexander V there in Pisa, and then he later helped to elect the anti-pope John XXIII. Because of his family connections, Odone was very valuable to John XXIII, who asked him to help bring him to Rome. Now, he was officially excommunicated by Pope Gregory XII for turning against him, but by this point, most of the people in the church was turning against Gregory anyway. And when the anti-pope John XXIII went to the Council of Constance, Odone went with him. And when John XXIII fled the same council, Odone followed after him. But he later returned to Constance, where he participated in the declaration of the deposition of John XXIII. In May of 1417, two years after Gregory XII had resigned, and indeed after he had died, and in fact, after basically all the antipopes had resigned, the See of Rome was finally declared vacant. And after some negotiation as to how to proceed, the cardinals met to elect a new pope in November of 1417. And on November 11th, 1417, they elected Odone. Since Odone was still only a cardinal deacon, he had to be ordained a bishop before becoming pope, which happened on November 22nd. And he took the name Martin V. Now, because it came in the middle of the Great Western Schism, we haven't had time to talk more about the Council of Constance. The council was the high watermark for what we call conciliarism, the belief that an ecumenical council is above the authority of the papacy. The council articulated this belief, and in its decree, Frequens specified that councils had to happen regularly, regardless if the pope declared it or not. The name Frequens is a dead giveaway about what the decree has in mind, a frequent meeting of councils. Now, at first, Martin seems to have followed along with the council's decrees, but later popes refused to ratify them and even expressly rejected them. Now that Martin was Pope, he had to figure out where he was going to establish the papal court. And you've got to think about this. There are three competing branches of not only papal courts, but papal bureaucracy, towns that have grown up with the papacy in mind, Pisa, Avignon, and Rome. Now, you might have thought we'd settled this since there were these three centers of papal power, but and now we're down to one, but it wasn't that cut and dry. The Germans wanted him to go to Basel in Switzerland, the French wanted him to go back to Avignon, and the Italians wanted him back in Rome. And add to this was the problem that the last couple of popes were still struggling to control the area around Rome in the Papal States, so Gregory XII didn't really have everything locked down. 
Luckily, Martin could draw on his own family reputation and power in the region. The Colonas were incredibly influential, but it was still dicey at times. In April of 1418, the Council of Constance was formally concluded, with Pavia chosen as the next place for the council to meet, a couple of years down the road. Martin left Constance and headed slowly to Rome, staying in Florence for at least a year before finally entering Rome in 1420. Now, while in Florence, there were two major events which will play a role in our story, one concluding and one looking forward. The first was Martin's meeting with Baldessare Cosa, who you know as the anti-pope John XXIII. Baldessare made an act of homage to the pope, and the pope received him back into the fold and appointed him the cardinal bishop of Tusculum. Thus, finally and officially, the Great Western Schism was brought to a beautiful conclusion. Now, the second event was the Pope's reception of ambassadors from Constantinople and the Byzantine Emperor Manuel II. Constantinople had been besieged by the Ottoman Turks several times in the 20 years prior to this, and Byzantine territory had dwindled to basically the areas surrounding the city and parts of modern-day Greece. The Turks were pressing into the Balkans and up into Central Europe, and the Emperor wanted to hold a council to try and reunite the churches to gain Western support and thereby to help defeat the Turks. He figured the only way that he's going to get the support of the military of the West was if he finally united the churches. And so Pope Martin sent a cardinal to Constantinople to begin this process, but nothing's going to come of it during his pontificate. However, this will be an issue in the future to keep your eye on. Martin, once back in Rome, had to work like his predecessors to reestablish papal control. Italy was very much the Wild West, with various families, factions, and individuals trying to take control of what they could at any given time. And the one most difficult for Martin was this guy named Braccio de Montone, who wormed his way into papal appointments as governors of large swaths of the papal states. But then he turned against the pope when his own authority was threatened. So Martin sent the papal army, commanded by his nephew, together with the army of Naples, and they defeated Braccio on the battlefield and established some semblance of peace in the papal states in June of 1424. Now, with this peace established, Martin worked to reunify the papal government, which had split into three by the schisms of the previous decades. He consolidated the bureaucracy and diplomatically convinced those from the various factions who might have held out against him to, to return to the service of the one papacy in Rome. And while there, he began the process of renovating some of the major churches, especially St. Peter's Basilica and the, the Lateran Basilica, because the papacy had been away from Rome in a long, for a long time. At the same time, he worked to try and heal the division with the Greeks. He sent some more learned scholars to Constantinople to try to come to an agreement about theological issues that divide the East and the West. Now, as instructed by the Council of Constance, Martin called a council in Pavia in 1423, but he didn't attend himself. Not many other bishops did attend, and because of that, it was pretty easy for him to just say, yeah, let's just cancel this. So after a hiatus due to the plague, the council was moved to Siena. It didn't do much. It said we got to really help reform their church, but didn't do anything major, and it's not listed in the church's list of ecumenical councils to this day. But what it did do is set up the location of the next council, the Council of Basel, which will play a bigger role in the future. That council, the Council of Basel, was officially opened in February of 1431, but Martin wouldn't leave to see, live to see his com its completion. He died of a stroke on February 20th, 1431, having unified again the church and reformed significantly the Holy See. He was buried at the Basilica of St. John Lateran, where he had worked to renovate, and his tomb can still be seen there to this day. He was succeeded by Pope Eugene IV, and we will talk about his pontificate next week. Thanks for listening to Habim Was Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you, and God bless you. <laughs>